Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. Let's join our hosts, Tim Curley and Colton Pierce, as they continue to discuss book three of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Beer number two, we're drinking a Barrel House Brewing Companies in celebration of the Mario Brothers movie that's out right now. Uh, we are drinking the Kong IPA, which has hazy IPA. We're drinking hazies tonight. Uh, which has the Mario Brothers uh, theme on the can with uh, Donkey Kong throwing hops instead of barrels down upon Mario. So I always wonder, because I think, I don't mean to get Barrel House in trouble, but I always wonder when small breweries like this do this kind of stuff, are they just flaunting the intellectual property laws and like the hell with it? Or yeah, no shot Nintendo would let this fly <laughs> if they knew about it. Well, they would, but I just but uh, Barrowhouse couldn't pay the licensing fee to do it. So I mean, go ahead, I don't care. But the uh, main thing is it's pretty tasty. Yeah, and I will say. No disrespect, Barrel House, because we're always so cheery about everybody we're always drinking here. I will say, Barrel House, some of the stuff you make, I'm not a fan of, uh, but that's just me and my flavor profile. But uh, they are very popular here in the Central Valley and on the Central Coast. Uh, We have a big tap room in Visalia, and it is packed pretty much every night of the week. So, props to them. Yeah, uh, Barrel House... They make a lot of different beers. They make a lot of different beers. I think just what's hard is they have such a huge following, such a huge tap room. And it's just like, "Mm, there's better beer around. (laughs) Like, you know, so. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're jack of all trades, master of none. And that's not a, that's not a, a knock. It's just. I can find better IPAs than what they make, but they make some decent. They make they make one or two IPAs that don't take take care for, but they do make some good IPAs. But there is something to be said about a brew brew company that is more concerned about being jack of all trades, master of none, because they get anybody can walk in, then there's a beer they like. Right, and that's the hard part about. Well, I feel that way about another brewery, but it's a brewery that hits a little bit closer to home for Tim, so I won't say anything. Um, Tim's a big fan of this brewery, so I just, I didn't want to say anything. Um, You can say it. I feel the same way about Sierra Nevada. Uh, (laughs) Well, but they don't do, but, okay, you can say they don't nail everything they do, but they don't do, like, all kinds of different beers. They just do all kinds of variants like, of IPAs. I'm not putting it like on the same level as. No, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm just more saying that like where it's like 
there's not a beer that like stands out to me where I'm like, ooh, I'd like, okay, so like for example, and I this is a terrible, ex- well, no, I don't feel like it's a terrible example, but I mean like when I think of Russian River, I'm like, I want to plan in the Elder. I mean, obviously younger, but I mean like what I can get, I'm like, yeah. that's what I want. When I think of Ballast Point, I want a Sculpin. When I think of Lagunitas, I want a little something or I want an IPA. When I think of, you know, some of these breweries, this is what I want. When I think of Sierra Nevada, I'm like, mm, sure, I could have a Toledo. Sure, I could have a... Yeah. No, it's, not like, it's not like a bad thing. No, no, no. Like, you know, but it's just like... Uh, Look, there's nothing... When I think of Firestone, I want... They don't need us defending them. They have uh, three brewers. Yeah, they're like, we know what we're doing, you jackasses. <laughs> and I'm just like... We have a massive plant in Chico. We have a massive plant in uh, Ashland... Yeah. North Carolina, they're on both coasts, even though they're quote unquote a micro, West Coast microbrewery, so they know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm. But saying... I agree with you. It's just like, hey, it's not like I'm. I need to go to the liquor store or the convenience store around the corner because I'm really craving a Toledo. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it Toledo, just has to do with the, the level of accessibility of it with. The sure because I kind of feel that way a lot of times about Lacanitas was like yeah yeah I mean that's how I used to feel and now I'm like okay I'll get a little seven twelve pack every time I go like you know because it's not there anymore all the time so I mean like that's I and yes I'd I agree with your statement about how like they dive in they have so many oh they yeah so Sierra Nevada's got all every kind of uh. They have every kind of lager and uh, IPA that you can think of. And then every once in a while, they'll delve into something outside of that. The thing that we're talking about with Barrel House, which is headquartered in Paso Robles, California, but they have tap rooms in a couple other cities, is they hit everything. They've got sours. They've got stouts. They've got... uh, Seltzers. Seltzers. They've got, they've got a Michelada. They have a Michelada they sell. They have, you can, like I said, yeah. if you got friends who are like, eh, I'm not really that into beer. They're more like you know, like a Bud or a Coors or Michelob. Uh, they can go there and find a beer they're perfectly comfortable with and go like, oh, this is really, this is actually really good. But right. it's within their, like, tamer uh, flavor profile. Right. And something that I will say about them is their atmosphere is phenomenal. Oh, the atmosphere at the tap room, both there and in Paso. And in Fresno, if you go to the is, Fresno one, yeah, is amazing. Is awesome. Highly recommend if you're ever in Paso Robles, Fresno. Or... They're the Starbucks of, of beer. They've like It's as much showing up to the place as it is anything else. Yeah, it's really awesome. And you get to have, and again, their beer is, is good. You'll go, you'll drink it, and you'll be like, this is great. I'm here with friends. And like that whole experience is is what makes it you'll be excited to have it and drink it it is really good if you want to take it a step above that where we're talking about where the beer where they do a lot of that stuff but then they take that beer up to the next level we say them all the time but if you are ever in turlock california (laughs) is dust bowl where you have that very similar atmosphere but now the beer is just like escalated a bit they also have phenomenal food yes there as well so it's like golly you guys took what barrel house was doing and you guys were like we could do this better and you did (laughs) 
Um, if you so. are in Paso Robles, your wine, Central Coast wine country, sometime you like beer. Yeah, and you're like, I don't really care. Definitely hit for up wine. Firestone, and then right around the corner, hit up Barrel House. Total, yeah, hit them both up. Absolutely, I'd highly recommend it. Barrel House is much more laid back. It's just a big uh, tap room. There's usually two or three food trucks there, so you can get food from a complete three different, completely different food uh, food trucks. Or you go to uh, Firestone, which is um, and they have right great on the street. food. They have a great food. They have the tap room, fish tacos all the way at Firestone. Yeah. So anyway, shout out to Paso. Skip the wine, hit the beer. I will. <laughs> I was like, Paso's wine is on the up and up. I, in my opinion, I was like, everybody's everybody in California or everybody outside of California is so hot and heavy for. Uh, north coast oh it's always been napa it's always a napa versus sonoma uh, you know yeah and then but really uh central coast uh paso is they've got they've got some really good wine selection over there so they do absolutely okay uh let's get back on random commercial break yeah (laughs) this segment was brought to you by barrel barrel house House brewing company uh okay (laughs) i was gonna say uh Okay. It's okay. Uh, okay. Uh, this did raise a question with me. Just I'm gonna raise it, and then we'll make this a hot topic or clean up on aisle five on the next episode. Sure. Because his you're whole getting my natural about... response from this right now, and then what? Gonna, I said because you're getting my natural response from this right now, and then we're gonna be like, hey, we're gonna have to no, clean just, that up next week. I don't know that we want to turn this into too long of an episode. Uh, I mean, I don't know if your answer is not too long, or you just think it's a crackpot theory. We'll just see. Maybe we'll just turn this into a side. Anyway, I was reading this part where he's talking about money okay. and charity, et cetera, et cetera, and for some and politics. Yes. And it just dawned on me, we've talked about it on this podcast, we've talked about it at the beginning, why people are leaving the church, we've given all these kinds of different reason, reasons, yada, yada, yada. We've never brought up the reason of just, maybe we're just too damn wealthy in the United States and the West, and, and religion and a faith with a God, we are the rich person Jesus has talked about. And it's just like, I don't need God. I got everything I need. Oh. And when I say everything I need, I mean we have everything we think we need. No, I got you. I, I'm not saying that's the main reason. I don't think there's one reason why the church has declined. I'm saying this is, I think, one reason that we don't talk about of, of, of maybe we just got too wealthy and uh, you could maybe call it lazy. But we just we don't have much hardship. The things we whine about and complain about the, in particularly the United States, are things of our own doing. Yeah, I think, um, what is the, what is the term, uh, the old saying, God whispers in our victories and he shouts in our defeats. Yeah, I mean, there was a riot over the weekend in Chicago and people were saying it's because these people, kids are poor and they're out there, there's people holding cell phones, recording people, also recording cell phones, rioting over lack of food. And I don't know why there was a riot in Chicago. I don't really care. But the point is just, we. <laughs> it's even though, <laughs> even though it wasn't a bunch of white people rioting in Chicago, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's what was, we used to, we were saying a lot in the, in the 2000s and the, the 10s of, 
it's white rich pro uh, white rich people problems compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, we have people who do go to bed hungry at night, but not that many. Our problem is obesity. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think when we get back to these cardinal traits or uh, whatever we called them earlier, I keep wanting to say traits of temperance, um, fortitude, uh, justice, and uh, what was our first one? Was uh, it? Was, it wasn't countenance, was it? It was... Uh, no, it was... Uh, where did they go? Prudence, temperance, prudence. justice, and fortitude. Yeah, it was prudence. Um, prudence. And we look at the nation as a whole. I don't think that it's wrong to sit there and say that we have established ourselves as our own gods um, or some other god has taken over... Um, uh, be it knowledge, be it whatever, um, and that we come from a, a spot of luxury where we can sit there and say, like, there's nothing wrong, and so therefore, yeah, I think people often, and if you look in ancient civilizations, it's easy to sit there and say, you only look for God in hardship, um, and maybe for some Christians that are listening to this podcast, that may be some of you. Right. Where we look for God in the times that we feel closest to God are actually at our, our is at our worst. Um, that's when we communicate. That's when we pray. Um, that is when we tap into that spiritual senses where we are sitting there and we are feeling we are at rock bottom. And so that's when we reach out. That's why a lot of those testimonies that you hear that are super powerful is about these people that are at death's door or they're at rock bottom and somehow they're able to spring back. But actually, believe it or not, they are more receptive to God in those moments than they have ever been before. And what is, Tim is suggesting is that um, because of the financial circumstances, because of the rights that are being given in this country and because of whatever, we are less receptive to who God is. And believe it or not, very similar to Israel. Yeah. In the scriptures where it was, they could sit there at least based off of the way that the story is told, um, which is a good part to emphasize, is that when things were going good, Israel did not need god right that's the hard part of god continuously showed himself over and over again to these people right like that's that's the funny part about like moses in the desert right everybody watched everybody that had the that was a part of the exodus witnessed the miracles of god yeah and what moses was preaching that they did <laughs> And then we're like went up on a fucking mountain <laughs> for like now don't get me wrong Moses was up there a while and there's like the storm and all that shit like literally there's like this storm cloud that's just hovering around Zion and there's lightning and all this shit we were like he died what do we do I guess we build the golden calf the golden, and we worship that well, shit. You're leaving, like, you're leaving out. We're wandering around the desert where there's nothing to eat or drink, and yet, and manna is provided every day. And after all, like, oy vey, 
Mana again. <laughs> let's get a let's get a golden cow out here. Let's melt all of our jewelry down and let's make a cow. Aaron, make it happen, man. And so you get the and it's like these are people that have witnessed that shit. And they're actually struggling, right? And they're like, this is better. And Eddie Moses comes back down and gets so pissed that he breaks the Ten Commandments. <laughs> or not the Ten Commandments, but the tablets. And has to go back up and get them rewritten. He's so pissed. But yeah, no, that's similar. Once you actually get into... Uh, you get into Israel and you see all these things that happen and, and again this life of luxury I mean yeah, you could make the claim about lots of different people um, in the scriptures about whether or not they would have struggled as bad as they struggled if they didn't come from a place of luxury um, and kind of understanding that so I don't think that it's far-fetched to sit there and say no that. I think I, the counter and it's a recent counter we just started talking about this past Sunday in our church is we, we're now in a mental health crisis. I think a lot of times we overstate. We're kind of in a, we're in a continual state of crises and uh, mass psychosis in the country. We're always kind of looking for the latest uh, mass psychosis or crisis to go from, you know, whether it be this country to invade or this country's threatening our security or what, yeah, yada, yada, yada. But I do think it's, it's clear we are mentally and emotionally broken. I don't think the statistics on our mental health are out of are if they're out of whack, they're not far out of whack. Yeah, but and so maybe this is because we're now reaching peak of people turning away from God because we are we've been too rich and now we're starting to make a turn towards yeah, I'm starting to realize there's more than uh DoorDash, my phone, and whatever's on Netflix at night. I think, so my argument, and listen, I'm somebody who is a huge advocate for mental health. Um, as somebody who goes through mental health issues, um, uh, which I think we've discussed on this podcast. We've discussed that on the oh, Yeah, podcast. we've discussed it uh, twice over, yeah, we, we haven't done a full episode on it, but we've hit it twice. We've hit it from both trauma and just uh, uh, chemical imbalance. Yeah, um, as somebody who has struggled with that and still continues to struggle with that, it's a it is a constant battle. Uh, for those of you, again, um, that have experienced it, know that. I do think that why and my philosophy is not necessarily backed. Um, I think there is backing behind it. It's just. It may not be the leading trend and it may not be what people want to hear. But there's this idea um, that was originally pitched in development um, to where we're talking about a hierarchy of needs. A hierarchy of needs is simply like you are concerned with um, when you are talking about uh, what you need first and then you are able to move on to being concerned with other things. So what is my first and utmost priority and then what is my priority after that? What is my priority after that? So for starters, the, the, the base level of the priority of needs is that you need water, air, you need shelter, you need 
food. That's the baseline. And as it continues to go up from there, uh, you become more, you eventually get to reach what is called self-actualization, to which that is where you are, you are completely content with all of your surroundings and all of those problems. Now, the, what they're finding is, is that they, if they do more research and they're finding that people in third world countries that have significantly more things to be stressed out about and more um, worried about are not having nearly the same amount of problems as Americans are or westernized culture is having um, with these issues of anxiety and depression. And I don't feel like those stats are really acknowledging the fact that there is a hierarchy of needs um, because really what I think that is happening is that when we get to that level, what we are struggling with is before we are able to reach self-actualization is that there's a level of social needs. And we are so concerned in that social needs aspect that we are like, okay, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? Based off of socially, because when you find out about anxiety and depression, you're going to find that a lot of those things are based around social pressures and social needs. Um, and so therefore, um, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? That's the problem with Instagram. That's the problem with all, uh, with all social media. Um, if you look at CNN and whether you or not you're intaking too much information, again, those are deals with social aspects and you have to have your social needs met in order enough to reach self-actualization and so because we have all of these needs met before us in, um, in the United States or in westernized culture, then there is a lot of things that are going to go wrong in that social category. And that's our biggest problem that we face. It's not any less of a problem necessarily. It doesn't make it more difficult. Um, or it doesn't mean that it's any less difficult than some of the other ones that are going on. Of anything, this is something that is uncharted territory because for long periods of time, um, people were still focusing and struggling in other tier levels of our hierarchy of needs. Um, and so for all of us to be sitting here and being able to wrestle with social issues and what's going on in our brains is actually really awesome that we don't have that kind of stuff going on the basic level the basic tier levels um but it's something that is concerning um and where a lot of people are finding themselves in valleys and and um and when i say valleys is just low points in their life where they don't see any way out of because again this is where something that needs to be said about it is if you sit there and you look at the social hierarchy of needs or you look at the hierarchy of needs and you look further down, all of that stuff is physical. It's very physical. Okay, I need a family. I need people around me, blah, 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 blah. That's it. But socially, it is all mental. I mean, especially as we're trying to, as more research is coming out about introverts and extroverts and and how we respond to one another, how we get met socially is different for every single person. Whereas I know 
how, what people need for a shelter and what they need for food and oxygen um, and all that kind of stuff. And so it is not something that's physical. It's something that's mental. Um, and so it's it, it can be extremely challenging. So sorry, if you paid attention to all of that, that's basically what I'm getting at is that uh, mental illness is a very legitimate thing. And I think that it is something that causes these valleys and stuff. And it's not something that can just go away. It's something that's better off um, than some of these other things. But I think that was a really nice little side cul-de-sac. So we've settled it. Yes, uh, we are too wealthy and decided we don't need God until about now. And now we've created a whole bunch of new problems in the last mm, 15, 20 years that have now fully matured into problems that probably need some sort of need God's assistance in its way out. So, yeah. Okay, so wrapping up this chapter, this has been a long one, I understand that, but this is important and it's very practical. He then basically wraps up this chapter. Remember, he's laid out, here's frankly what Christianity will look at, like politically, if you're voting economically, socioeconomically, et cetera, et cetera. He then ends by saying, the point of all this isn't to tell you how to vote, but the point is, and this has been a theme of the podcast, your Christianity should not conform to your politics, but should it act- but should actually inform your politics. Yes. And as, as it was then, it is still now. So it is now. Yes, it is. We're using Christianity to confirm what we've already made up in our mind is the correct political thing to believe and cherry-pick things and say, well, this is how Jesus would do it, and that's probably not the case. Either Jesus didn't give a shit or you're actually contrary to what Jesus is actually preaching. Okay, the next chapter is an interesting one. Psychoanalysis and Christianity. Yes. We don't need to spend much time on it. It's very, it's a very interesting chapter. We don't need to spend much time on it. He opens up the chapter by uh, talking about uh, Freud and Jung. I do recommend anybody who likes to read a lot. I would delve into Freud and Jung. I prefer Jung over Freud. Uh, he takes a few pot shots at Freud because I think Freud got outside of from. I don't know. I only know Freud from his psychoanalysis, but from what I could gather from Lewis, it sounds like he started talking, Freud thought he was a ling- linguist or something as well. When Freud was, well, I mean, and when Lewis was growing up, Freud was a, the dominant Oh, yeah. Psychologist. Well, he's, I think he's remained, I mean, Jung's had kind of a comeback in the last 20 years, not because, and not because of, uh. Uh, P- Peterson. Well, and Freud is now considered more of a quack. Right. Um, there's you like still to this day, Freud is still considered the lead on a lot of the things that he theorized about the subconscious. Um, not necessarily based upon brain functions. So right. A, like, like if you're a neuropsychologist, you're like no. Right. Um, yeah. You're like, the, we know waves and those types of things now. I'm aware of that, but more of what he's talking about was talking about dream states, um, talking about the social aspect of the um, the id, 
um, the ego, the super ego, or the alter ego, um, kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, take a class on psychology before you dive into those two, please. So that way you can understand kind of where psychology has gone from them. Um, because the, out of all the things that are that are not, like, there's a lot of things that are not dated in this book, but for psychology at that point, it's it's fairly dated It now. is, but I will so, say Jung has proven to be much yes, more. Yes, yes, yes. He's held on much longer. Uh, okay, so the bullet points on psychoanalysis are, because remember, when he's writing this again in the mid-50s, going to a, psych- a psychiatrist was a new thing. Yeah. Uh, if you ever watch the show Mad Men, they talk about it's dealt with in a season where basically a uh, main character is sending his wife off to go see a psychiatrist all the time because she's not fulfilled at home and it's it's all in your head, blah, 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 blah. So psychiatry is taking on at this time. I think there's just some general skepticism within the culture at large and, of course, within Christianity there was a lot of skepticism that this is, you know, you're relying on some sort of man-made secular thing and it's getting in the way of your faith. So he says, one, nope, not true. Yeah. He specifically says, uh, one, no, it's not true. Christianity is okay with it. There's nothing wrong with it. And two, makes it clear to those reading this in the chapter uh, psychological issues are basically like any other disease. He's not literally saying they're a disease, but it's like Lydia, any other disease you might have, you need to go see a doctor to treat them and to have psychological issues, whatever they are, is not being sinful. Right. Again, he's being very specific to the church and what the church is going through. However, as we have said, again, when we've talked about the church and psychological stuff as well the church really didn't get over that until very recently i would say depending on what denomination or something you belong to but there are large swaths particularly within the evangelical church that just look skeptical and was like no you just need to pray more or you know you need to talk to your pastor or or whatever yeah and so again mid 50s lewis is like no Not true. So, then he moves on to sexual morality. Uh, It's a big chapter. Again, I'm not, but I'm not going to spend much time on it. Not because, in some ways, he goes into it in detail. He has to because, as we've talked about, uh, along with everything else, postmodernism. He's, he's, this is the beginning of the sexual revolution. Sexual revolution doesn't begin in the 60s. It begins in the 50s. Yeah. It begins basically when everybody comes home from either World War II or Korean War, the sexual revolution starts because everyone's really wanting to get along, get on with life and make babies. Hence baby boomers. Yes. And so he starts, he first starts off by saying, Contrary to what the sexual revolution is telling you, this isn't some meaningless thing. It's not meaningless to just have sex with whoever you want. There are consequences. There are rules. 
there are guidelines, there are proper ways to go about having sex, and there are improper ways of having sex. Yeah, that's the... Yeah. Um... I don't know. I always feel weird about this topic um, because I don't know if I can really speak to it very well. Because um, <laughs> you were promiscuous? I wasn't. No, I feel like that that's, that's what makes it difficult. It's yeah, no, like, I understand. It's just somebody to sit there and acknowledge that there are... Neither was I, so we got two people who can't talk about it, so... Well, I mean, here's... A... But he speaks to that as well. And the hard part is sitting there and, and, yes, he does, is acknowledging that, hey, there's, I was not. Um, me and my wife were uh, high school sweethearts. Um, we were virgins until we were married. Um, and, and that was important to us. I'm also an advocate now to where I'm saying, like, because for us, it was never something that we ever wanted to give up. I, it was That was what I believe of the correct mindset, where it was like, but yet I know so many people that held on to it as far as, like, this guilt and the shame thing. Right. Um, of, and it was like, nah, you missed the point. Like, if that's what you're holding on to it for, then you might as well get rid of it. Um, and I know that that seems weird, but no. Like, I I kid you not. That's not that's not good either. No. That um, leads to people, uh, male and a female, going to Christian college, getting married because they just want to have sex and not do it, breaking God's law. But they're not really meant for each other. Right. That's I'm not that's I'm not doing it because mom and dad told me to. That's that's what you're doing right there. Um, not because you're not curious, not because you don't want and I mean like if you want to translate this to something else, like let's talk about it in the context of I was like, so that way it's less taboo for some people because people get weirded out. I was like, okay, then let's do it with alcohol, for example. Your consumption of alcohol underage in the United States. This isn't a biblical law, but yet it's a law in the, it's a law in our country in which we say that, uh, and in the Bible it says that you need to follow the law of the land, and so. Well, he also said earlier, temperance is a big deal. So some of us, a lot of kids went out, and got hammered on a weekend, on a regular basis, but never had sex because they were scared to death of the latter, but not the former. Right, and so it's like, so what is it that makes that, and and we can sit there and we can say there's negative consequences, blah, 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 blah. The risk is just not, but seriously, when especially when we're talking about the first topic, which we talked about, which is the sexual aspect is, this is something that means a lot more to teens and it weighs highly, much more highly on their psyche. Um, and so if I, if we acknowledge that, understanding that people's and even to this day and this is something that we acknowledge is why is it if you found out that a man had gone out and he had if there was a man out there in the world that went out and he murdered 50 men or there was a man who went out there and raped 50 women 
odds are people would sit there and they would say that the man who raped 50 women is is deserving of death more than the man who killed 50 men. Um, and that's just how much we value that purity, um, that, that very intimate space of what sex is. You cannot deny that in our world to sit there and say that that isn't something that is intimate. And so when you sit there and you share that intimacy with multiple people, there are going to be problems that are created by that. Um, there are going to be problems in your own marriage or, or your permanent status or whatever with another person of inadequacy, um, of fear and resentment. Um, if you have like uh, issues with exes, those types of things arise because of that intimacy that they once shared together um, because that is the closest that you could possibly get with another human being is experiencing uh, that intimacy at that particular level and so you can't like I don't think that it's an argument in my opinion to sit there and say that if like you can just walk away from that and not have any side effects Tim just walked away right when I finished, so I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Sorry, this is quite a messy episode. I heard a commotion in the background, and apparently the, our puppy Tank is a toker, because I went in there, and he had a bag of Doritos that he was munching down <laughs> on. <so. laughs> I, was like, I was like, Tim just got up and left. Oh, yeah. And here is... Uh, and here he is. Because he's is. mad because we took away his, his, uh, you his even, munchies. You even smell like you got <laughs> nacho cheese breath over there, bud. How you doing, How you doing there, Tank? <laughs> yeah, he spends some time on sexual morality, making it clear it's not something to take lightly. No. He, he even he takes a paragraph talking about how you might have to ask God to help you remain chaste, blah, blah, blah. But then he, then he stops... Because again, he's countering, I think, what a lot of, of, of what is going on in the church and says, I'm just going to, he says, it's not the thing, though, that we need to be fixated on. And I'm going to, this is the part I'm going to read tonight. He says, finally, though I have had time to speak at some length about sex, I want to make it as clear as I possibly can that the center of Christian morality is not here. If anyone thinks that Christians regard unchastity, as the supreme vice, he is quite wrong. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting, the pleasure of power, of hatred. For there are two things inside me competing within the human self which I must, must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes on regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, it is better to be neither. Yeah, I... 
And that's kind of what I was getting at when I said, you know, if you're sitting there and you're holding on to this idea that, you know, if you're sitting there and just like, I, I can't do it because somebody else is telling me this or that. Again, don't like, that's not a reason to hold on to it. If that's the only reason that you've got, then I like, that's not worth holding on to it for. Because again, it, very similar to what Lewis said, like that's that's a minor problem. I mean, like that's gonna cause you headaches later on down the road. Like you know, like what I had just talked about. There are there are obvious things. Uh, it's not something that can't be circumnavigated, and not something necessarily in f- just because your hormones are raging or whatever. Um, it's not something that you cannot come back from. Um, or that won't take serious adjustment of the heart to come back from, in my opinion, um, and and on C.S. Lewis's opinion as well. Um, so, I don't know. That's that's the hard part of that. Um, but it is such a huge focus. I remember there's uh, and probably those of you that have listened to this have heard of what is called True Love Waits. Um, there was a staff member on uh, the church that we used to go to staff who when I was a sophomore in high school they were upset over the fact that I was not participating in true love weights (laughs) okay and I was like what and I was helping with true love weights I like it was put on by our youth ministry. I was helped setting up for the weekend, doing all that kind of stuff, making sure everything was going well. And this particular parent, or well, this particular uh, person was very upset over the fact that I wasn't participating. And I was like, I, I've already made this commitment. Like, I don't know why I need to take a seminar and get a ring. Um, to do this like this is just not something that i want in my life for myself yeah and that's the hard part is that there becomes this pressure around this ring there becomes this pressure around the commitment that you made but if you didn't make it with your decision then that causes problems it's the same thing that i feel like we force and this happens with a lot of different issues in christianity but i think another one his baptism where it is we sit there and we force this baptism on them um where kids are just not mentally equipped at that point to be able to make that sort of decision and so they and so later on down the life they want to get rebaptized or they don't want to have anything to do with the faith because they're like i was not ready for that i didn't understand what that meant i didn't get what that means for me um and so there are problems that arise through that, but I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the eternal struggle of living in a, a Christian household. If you're a Christian parent, you have to understand, and I don't think most parents, Christian parents think about this. It's not a criticism. We, we don't, a lot of us don't really have the time or just, you know, we're, we're not sitting around con- contemplating deep things all the time. I think it's it's something that should be pointed out by youth pastors to parents, which yeah. is 
when your kid is living in your house or even maybe a few years outside of living in your house to be perfectly honest the christianity that they are living out is your christianity it is not theirs yeah and at some point that kid's got to decide whether or not they buy into that thing that they have that's been a household religion and some kids it's seamless they they've bought into it what whatever they bought into when they were 14 and fully understood it they've continued it they stay they stay on that path they stay within the faith they stay within the way as as the early <laughs> church call it you laugh but i think that we should talk about them more the way it's because it means what it is it's a direction we're going it's not a, just this decision we make sure um, but for a lot of kids and I would include myself, because not because my parents were forcing my religion down my throat, or that the fact that my, my all my four of my grandparents were Pentecostal preachers. It's just at some point you have to decide. No, this is really what I believe in. It's not just some inherited family belief. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this shouldn't be complicated. Most of us grow up in a household of, you're, we're Democrat in this house, or we're Republican in this house. And your parents expect you to be Republican or Democrat. And then when you come home and, be, and you say, no, I voted for Obama. It says, well, not over my dead body. It's no different. No, At some point, the kids not. have to decide, I, I believe in this thing. And you have to hope that you've done enough to mimic things in the right way. And sometimes you can do everything right and the child just decides not to. And I and sometimes you can do a really shitty job mimicking Christianity, and you're responsible for them not following in the faith. So I, you know, that's each individual uh, situation. But keep that in mind. It is not you're not, just because kids grow up in a Christian home doesn't mean that they're gonna. At some point, they have to believe and buy into this thing, which um, Lewis speaks about. Yeah. He speaks, we kind of glossed over it earlier in the book, but earlier in the book, he talks about faith is basically having, it's a fair balance of, I have some, a reasonable amount of, I have a reasonable, reasonable, rational amount of information to believe in Christianity to where it's not just kooky talk. Yeah. But there's also just a healthy amount of faith, like a lot of things in life. Right. Okay. Next, next part he goes to in is marriage. I'm going to skip past marriage. If you're listening to this, oh, no, I'd really like to hear, read the book. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, next one is forgiveness. Again, very big, very important chapter. He hits forgiveness right out of the gate, says this is the hardest of the virtues. Yeah. We're, we're really bad about this. No one listening to this should be surprised. Uh, he says something interesting a couple paragraphs in. He said, you know, before I was a believer, uh, I used to hear, hate the sin, not the sinner. Even, I think he even says even after he became a believer, he would hear that. And he always thought it was poppycock. And then he came to understand, no, actually, that's, there's nothing. That's literally what we do. Yeah. He says... He says, it's, yeah, it sounds silly for someone to say, no, I really love you, but you're a sinner. When we say, well, that's just 
you're, that's just a cop-out. But he says, no, actually, it's not a cop-out because that's how you judge yourself. Right. Now, that's the way he said it. He leaves... Look, Lewis speaks in extremes. And if you're reading this and, you, and you're thinking of exceptions, don't use that against Lewis. Lewis is always dealing with the... the the extremes or the majority of things. Because when I read that, I thought, well, there's people who loathe themselves as being sinners, uh, but those are the people you have to really worry about. Those are the people who turn into sociopaths and all that kind of thing because, like we talked about with Judas, unfortunately, they come so obsessed with the fact that they are so horrible that they are in- irredeemable. Those people you have to worry about. So if anything, it's only justifying and substantiating what Lewis is saying. The healthy yeah. thing is to say, yeah, I sin. I mess up all the time. I don't mean to. I don't know why I do. But I still love myself. I don't, I, I'm not, I don't find myself loathsome. Right. I think that, yeah. Now, when we sit there and say, uh, the hard part, in my opinion, is... Uh, and I think Tim get, did a good disclaimer here is, but going back to that whole idea of oh, we hate the sinner. We do. We sit there and we hate people that, that sin. Cause we call them hypocrites. Sure. We fall in love with this love with this in love with this word hypocrite. Somehow we all we're all sinners, but anytime someone points something out and they do the same, they oh they're hypocrites, so we're they're, we're just supposed to ignore them. And we've talked about this on the show before, right? We looked at the situation with the hockey player. Yeah. Yeah, we looked at it at we looked at James Gunn, for example. Um We've looked at these people and we sit there and we say, That's it. You're out. You've sinned. Um, we've played judge, jury, and executioner, at least socially, um, for people that have done things on the public stage. Um, right, but it's not about let's get this guy some support and let's help them grow and develop and understand that that's not okay. No, it's let's drop them immediately because we can't handle the fallout that yeah. comes from it. Right? Like, that's not what it is. Right? No no university that has dropped people because of racist comments that they have posted on whatever is not sitting there and saying, let's give them a training. Right. Let's help them grow and understand that that's not okay. No, that doesn't exist. It doesn't. Well, some, some, in some instances, it's something from five years ago, and it's not even a question of... Have you grown since then without any training? Right. No. And I mean, like, yeah, even then it's we don't care about if you've grown. We just care that if you've done the incident, well, then you're out. Yeah. And that doesn't mean if you are listening to this and you feel like I'm not saying that that's not bad. That's not what I'm saying. No. Well, that's the next thing that what Lewis says. Forgiveness doesn't mean punishment. In some instances, we forgive, but we still have to punish. Absolutely. That's not. And that's something that we've talked about on this as well, where I've talked about driving by the the prison and like literally like crying over the fact that there are prisoners in there that are going to serve the rest of their lives there um, and never see outside and and 
that's all they're ever going to know. And why that's upsetting is just that idea of I and never at once at any of that time that I sit there and say, well, those guys don't deserve that. That's not what's being said. I just feel sorrow for them in that the fact that they will never because of some fucked up decision that they decided to make or or that life threw their way that that's all they're ever going to know is the inside of those prison walls. And that sucks ass because I know how beautiful life is. And that sucks. And and it doesn't make what they did r- like right like it's just like okay well we just don't do that to people nope that's not it but it doesn't mean that you can't feel sorrow and remorse for what happened there and so when people do fucked up things it's okay that we have to adhere to the law or we have to or you don't sit there and have consequences for their actions where you sit there and say, hey, I can't be friends with you anymore. That doesn't mean that you don't feel sorrow over the fact that you just lost a friendship because somebody just burned you. Mm-hmm. Where you sit there and you reflect and you're like, I remember those good times, but yet this just hurt too much. And to where I forgive you, I don't hold it against you. But at the end of the day, we can't do this anymore. And I think that's a very realistic expectation to have to have before you go into any of those things. So I don't know. All right. He wraps up the chapter. We won't go into too much detail. Wraps up the chapter by providing the distinction between thou shalt not murder, thou shalt kill. He provides, you know, some of the language mix ups, uh, what the original language was. Yeah. And, and then he he does mention he understands why people are pacifists, but believes they're mistaken. Blah blah blah. So he's he's just kind of breaking down. Um, I don't remember why that was in there, but uh, okay. Next next chapter: the great sin. <laughs> are we only just on the great sin? We're gonna have to split this into two parts. So, great sin is, he alluded to this, we talked about this on the the sexual sin. He says, the great sin is not sexual morality, it's not some other things. It's contrary to what Christians believe, pride is the greatest sin. That That is the sin that God despises the most. Uh, and says it's you know it's the opposite of humility. Why is that the greatest sin, Tim? Well, he says it's because it's the greatest cause of misery for man, and the biggest, also the biggest cause be, of divide between man and God. Yeah, what you're getting at here with pride is again you are now putting yourself at the level of God. Uh, let me, and then before we. Before you continue. Oh, sorry. You had just paused. So. No, I know. I did. But but just, I want to get this out of the way because he, he goes on and then, and then he does the caveats. But I want to get the caveats out of the way. He makes it clear. Pride is not taking pleasure 
uh, in being praised at doing something. That's not pride. You know, hey, you did a really good job. Oh, that's pride. I, I, I can't. I, that, 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 you can that's feel the, You can feel the pride from that, but you no, can that's feel not the, the pride. pride. That's not. You it. can also be proud of something that you did. Yes. Just on your own without without an attaboy. He's making it clear. That's not in and of itself pride. Pride mm, is yeah. bigger than that. Pride is, pride is I don't need God. Pride is... Pride is I did this by myself without anybody helping me. Pride is I am better. Pride is going back to the sins. Pride is I am not that guy because I don't cheat on my wife, even though I cheat on my wife every day in my brain. Right. Pride is I am not a thief because I didn't rob the liquor store, but I've thought about I've thought about stealing from my work. Pride is I didn't pick the fruit and eat it. This woman gave it to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's not being able to recognize fault. I mean, you could, we could probably spend three episodes just breaking this down and going through the Old Testament one thing after another, being pride is ultimately what is the downfall. Pride is the downfall of what we talked about on our Easter bonus episode of Judas. Judas took pride and he knew it was best. And what he thought was best was Jesus was going to be the savior of the Jewish people. And when he felt, failed to do that, he sold them out because, well, Jesus isn't the guy. Because I know better. Yeah. Pride is the Tower of Babel. Pride is David and Bathsheba. Right. I think it's a poison. Something that it's in every single person. Um, Of just this idea of we think of ourselves as more than what we are. And Pride are, is the guy who's going to cast the first stone at the prostitute. Those those verses don't exist. We've already been over this time. Pride is it's a difficult sin. It's all, it's one of the seven deadly. Well, he actually goes out his way to say it is bigger than unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness. He says they are merely flea bites in comparison yeah it's um it the reason why again is just it is a poison to where you take it and you it infects you And you can see it happen to people around you on a regular basis to where there's somebody who's overly prideful or you can see somebody who is just full of themselves. And that dictates the decisions that they make. But what's so hard is that it can happen to any single person at any given moment. And... It can happen at a microscopic level where you sit there and just say, I just know better than this person or I know better than this. And the decisions that you make have lasting consequences yeah. because of it. And it's it's tough. It's really, really tough. Pride is a, is a tough sin. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think it is 
one of those sins that is just it again when we talked about earlier when i said that jesus is coming after the the condition of the heart pride keeps him from being able to walk in if you sit there and you know better or you are better or whatever you are keeping from Jesus from coming into your life and being able to break down those walls and have a conversation with you. And so what you had said earlier was that was to break down that pride um, when he says, like, hey, if this is something that you're doing or if you think that you're better than this person, know that you're not. Yeah, there's a great phrase, by the grace of God, go I. And it basically means, like, that person might be doing X sin, but I'm doing X. I'm doing Y and Z, and so I'm not the. I'm not going to be the one that casts a stone. Right. I'm walking around with a fat ass blink in my eye. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not. We, and I'm not trying to remove the speck out of his eye. I'm just trying to help the guy out. I mean, it, seriously, if we do look at most of the interaction, it, maybe all of the interactions Jesus has with antagonists in the New Testament, it is ultimately pride that he's dealing with. It's the pride yeah. of the Pharisees. It's, oh, I know the Bible. This this up-and-coming knucklehead kid thinks he knows the Bible better than I do. I'm going to ask him, what are the greatest sins? Jesus yeah. knows right away. It's because this guy thinks he knows the Bible, knows the what we call the Old Testament better than he does. And he says, oh, okay, well, I'll answer your question. It's actually, well, the, the Scripture says this, but it also actually includes this and this and this. Right. And it in, does include, hey, there's this adulteress. What should we do? Because we're better than she is. And you're better than she is, so you better have the right answer. No, actually. I wonder if the Pharisees ever thought that Jesus had, like, never mind. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I'm not going to. Yeah, I think that that what Jesus is saying there is, is again, it these are all humbling remarks for people to understand that hey this is we're all on the same playing field he took the prideful pharisees and put them at the same level as those that they had viewed as unworthy of god's affection and love well and pride is what gets when the when the disciples get in trouble it's pride yeah I mean, the, the, the moment they get most chastised is the three that are arguing over who's going to sit on the right hand and the left hand and all that. Just, yeah, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point. Right. This and isn't about glory when I set up my this fictitious kingdom you think that's coming. But also that's what we're talking about when people sit there and say, I'm soaring up treasures in heaven is you have done just as John and his brother did. Yeah. You know, John and James. You guys are sitting there and saying, so where do I get to be right. in this place? Where, where's the royalty that I am bestowed because of how much work that I put in for this faith? It's Peter's pride that, that, that calls Jesus to say, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Where Peter says that he is above the plan, the planning of a millennium, <laughs> millenniums, uh, to sit there and say, I will prevent that from happening. And he says, I actually, what Jesus said, 
And they don't put it in scriptures because they don't put curse words in scriptures. <laughs> was what Jesus said was, get behind me, you dumb motherfucker who doesn't know anything. Because it was literally like, dude, Peter, you're missing the point. You've been missing the point the whole dang time, dude. Get with the picture. And so that's just very sad. Yeah. Again, Tim left, so... uh... Alright, let's continue with this epic Spartacus episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Alright, next ep- the next item he brings up is charity again. Uh, Which we had talked about. Well, we did, but in this epi- in this chapter he says, okay, I talked about charity before as being basically what everybody thinks of it is, as giving to the poor, but in a classical sense, for most of the history of church and Christendom, charity is a much bigger word, and basically the word means uh, loving others. Yes. Uh, So, there's a lot in the chapter. Uh, A lot of it's kind of redundant of what he already said, but one key point that he makes in that chapter is, he points out, I think it's a fair uh, point, is he says the difference between worldly people and Christians is that world, worldly people are basically nice to the people they like. They love the people they like, but they don't love their enemies. And Christians are called to, it's not that we do, but we are called to love our enemies. Right. And that is the difference. Uh, next chapter is hope. Sorry, folks, I'm going to skip over hope. It's not that I don't think hope is important. I think it is very important, but just to keep moving along, we're gonna we're gonna move on. We'll hit hope when we do our Shawshank Redemption episode. Yes. Okay, and then the last two chapters are both faith and two different aspects of faith. Uh, so when he he says faith is. Um, I'm going to go, I'm just going to meld both chapters into one big, big discussion. I'm not going to differentiate differentiate between the two chapters. So, uh, he points out that, I think as I said before, it's not just blind faith in something. There requires this moment where you've, you reach a, uh, what's the word? You reach a point where there's enough one might call evidence to support that Jesus is who Jesus is. Yeah. And then there's also just further believing everything else. There's a horizon, event horizon where you, where, okay, it's not just, I have blind faith that this guy was this carpenter and blah, 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 blah. You, you read the scriptures. Uh, there was a good, uh, at church this Sunday, there was a good, uh, Somebody had visited church on Easter and they they mentioned it in the service where someone said, I believe my whole life that Jesus didn't exist and I showed up to your church on Easter and you kind of persuaded me that this whole Jesus thing and rising from the dead actually happened. So I think that was a perfect encapsulation of what Lewis is talking about. Uh, then he goes on to say, and then he then he transitions to where faith is more than though than just belief that it's actually kind of a way of life. It's a practice. 
Yes. And the more we practice at it, the better we're going to be. So, if, you know, if we do it one week, then in two weeks is easier and three weeks is easier. And then after a while, it's just a way of life. Um, but yeah, but basically makes it clear time and practice is key to faith. Yes. Uh, he does throw in an interesting little nugget where he says, and I might be, I don't think I'm paraphrasing him incorrectly. He basically says, and you, and I've talked about this. I think I've mentioned my father talked about this later in a lot when I talked to my dad about issues of Christianity, where he says, the older I get, the more doubtful I actually get about things. Hmm. And he and the in and the way he describes it as he, he describes it as a mood. There are moods in your life where you're having a harder time with Christianity than you might have in other periods, and that's okay. We go through these these fits where it's a little harder than it was maybe. It does it doesn't get easier. I think his whole the whole point of it of it is just because you've been practicing as a Christian for 10 years doesn't mean the 10 to 20 years are going to be easier and the 20 to 30 years are going to be easier. You're going to go through periods where actually you're going to have a harder time with this. Yeah. And part of it's because, you know, there's a level of idealism built into Christianity as to how people are going to live. And you, I think you kind of, even though you know it's childish to expect that you treat people nice, you're going to get treated nice back. Yes. You get shit on, and you're just like, well, what's the point of this? And it's not sinful or being a doubting Thomas or anything to be like, well, what the fuck am I getting out of this thing if I'm still getting shit on? Yeah. And life's getting harder. Yeah. Again, I think that's, that is where it's good to read your Old Testament because people get really cranky with God and be like, dude... What the hell? Yeah. And God usually says, all right, you can ask me, and you get mad at me. I'm a big boy. You're not going to like my answer, <laughs> but I'm going to give you an answer. You're really not. <laughs> but it's okay to get upset. Um, and then he, go, then he talks about, uh, well, yeah, I already mentioned belief is not a blind faith in something. Uh, and then he goes, he talks a bit about well, he makes a clear distinction. I think he's trying to make distinctions within the church or misconceptions within the church where he says, this isn't simply being a follower of Jesus and me being able to do... He's, he's, try, he's trying to... He's now trying to work out the works and the faith part that is always... The difficult part of being a Christian. I don't care if you're a Catholic or a Protestant. If you're a Protestant, you are told Jesus does all the work, and then you're like, okay, so does it? Does that mean I don't have to? I can do whatever the hell I want to do. Yeah. And if you're a Catholic, it's like, well, I have to do all this stuff, and it's like, well, I I'm barely treading water here. Oh, where does the faith kick in? And he's right. trying to say it's neither one or the other. Right. You have to work at trying to be a better person. You have to work at doing the things that God calls us to do, that Jesus calls us to, calls us to do, the things that society might say. I mean, frankly, what he talked about, this, the thing that we don't want to talk about right now in the church, 
because society mocks us for it is yeah you one needs to be sexually chaste and in in some way yeah we are called to do that whether we understand it or not yeah. and but doing those things is not what's going to save us ultimately the more we try to do those things and fail the more we str- we realize i'm not doing this without god and jesus helping me out yeah um he also points takes a moment to po- point out some of you are going to gradually struggle your entire life and understand that and i think he even points out he points out Paul and I think uh, John Bunyan. And I don't know much about John Bunyan. I've, I've read Pilgrim's... Did he write Pilgrim's Progress? Is that what he wrote? Uh, he's uh, actually Paul Bunyan's father. <laughs> uh, he wrote one of the great Christian books of... I don't know which... Anyway, I think from what I could gather, they both had you know one of those moment they had one of those aha moments yes he wrote the pilgrim's progress yes and he was apparently a prolific sinner before he became a christian had an aha moment similar to paul wrote arguably one of the greatest christian uh, works uh, ever and so but he's saying like that's not most of us most of you are going to struggle 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 and that's fine doesn't make you any less of a christian than paul was or bunyan Again, he gets back to good actions or faith in Christ as being paramount to faith. And I think he makes a very good analogy to make it clear that it's not one or the other, but it's both. He says, trying to decide if it's actions or faith that is paramount to a Christian walk is like trying to decide which blade of a, of a pair of scissors is more important. Yes. And I think that perfectly encapsulates that it's both simultaneously right you cannot sit home and be like i'm just going to do whatever and continue to live the way i did before i was a jesus follower not at all try to clean up and yes i'm going to drink too much one night i'm going to swear whatever your thing is i'm going to be prideful when i shouldn't be prideful but that doesn't mean i still don't try to work on those things and not be that but also understand ultimately Anything I do is not saving me. It is the saving grace of Jesus Christ dying in the, sh- in the blood he shed. Right. Uh, to further the point, he then, towards the end of the chapter and the book, <laughs> picks on two parodies of the two sides of the church. <laughs> and he says, one side of the church, being the Catholic church, says, uh, you're a sinner Give all your money to the church so the church can do great things, and that's going to save you. And the other extreme on the other side is Jesus died for you. His blood saves you, and so you can do whatever the hell you want because you've been saved. And he said neither one of those extremes is accurate. Right. Which I feel like you can deduce why that would be the case. Right. Uh, and then he wraps up the chapter by saying this. And I think this is good for someone who, who at this time was still a relatively new Christian. And he's made it clear in this and other writings that 
he was put off by the works part of Christianity. Yeah. And he says, look, this is the way the Christian life's going to be. The Christian life is going to be seemingly about, at the beginning, all about morality and your duties and the things you're supposed to do and the things you aren't supposed to do. But if you live out that long enough, that, that life long enough, it's going to lead you to a much more enriching life that you don't even have to, it's just like natural, like swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. Um, yeah, I don't even feel like there's anything left to be said on that. No. No, I think that that is, it will be that natural. It's like riding a bicycle. <laughs> so is that it? I think so. For our two four hour, hour epi- two hours and twenty ep- twenty minute episode, two hour and twenty one. Well, I mean, we gotta like cut a couple of things out. Cut a couple of minutes. We're, we're, we'll be down to two fifteen, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Goat Help Podcast. Please. Subscribe, rate, and review. It's those subscriptions that boost us up on Apple Podcast and Spotify, etc. If you like what you've heard here, great. If you don't, go to hell. Cheers. <laughs>